everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We have an awesome episode for you guys today. I am joined by one of my oldest friends, Aaron Millard. We went to kindergarten together and have remained friends ever since. So I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Erin is currently pursuing her master's degree in social work and works for Rogers Behavioral Health, which is a provider of mental health and addiction treatment. We are going to be talking through some of her clinical work that she does, mental health in general, and then more specifically about anxiety. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Erin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited for this. Um, One thing I was thinking of when I read that, I know we're not talking about addiction um, today, but have you seen the Demi Lovato documentary on YouTube yet? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, though. It's so good. I'll highly check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I had it's yeah, just talking about her overdose in 2018 and it was just super eye-opening like I had no idea how serious it was yeah I the bits and pieces I saw I kind of were shocking to me but I think it looks like a really good really good one I'm also surprised she's so like she seems to be able to talk about it in like a really comfortable way right now or like obviously on camera but it was I'm just like dang girl like to be able to go through that and then tell the story to yeah like millions of people is crazy yeah that's that's great though that she's doing that to hopefully help other people who are in the same position yeah so yeah for sure okay so let's start um with a little background on you um tell us what you do at Rogers um like for your job or or even for your internship Yeah, so I've been at Rogers since 2017. Um, I had my, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. So I knew at that time that I wanted to work in the mental health field. And when I got the job at Rogers, it was kind of like my dream job um, because Rogers provides, um, as you said, they provide mental health treatment and I really wanted to work in the mental health field. Um, So I started at Rogers in 2017. Um, I work in the admissions department. So and that's where I still am right now. Okay. I so what that entails is basically just helping patients, families um, who are seeking treatment. So I give a lot of information about what we do at Rogers to people. And then I also do intake assessments for people who are Um, seeking treatment for whichever program, whether that be inpatient, residential, outpatient. And then I started school, um, the master's program for social work. So I started in the MSW program and I just started my clinical internship, which is required to get my master's degree. And I started that in last fall. So Mm -hmm. I was very lucky to have the opportunity to do that at Rogers as well, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm also currently doing my clinical internship in the outpatient program with adults with PTSD, OCD, and anxiety. Did part of the job at Rogers prompt you to then seek out your master's of social work, or was that always the plan for you? Rogers was a big part of it just because I really want to be able to grow and I felt like getting my master's 
was would give me more opportunity. Um, I also just wanted more of the education piece and yeah. just more, I guess, just more opportunity to work hands on with patients, which I do already kind of do now. But I want to do it more from a therapeutic standpoint, which is kind of what led me to get my master's. Yeah. I think like one thing I know about social work and I don't know a ton, like most of what I know it's from you or from others in the field. Um, but it's so, there's such a variety of like where you could be working. Like you could be a social worker in schools and hospitals. Um, but, and then you have the example of doing it more in a, a clinical setting. Do you think that once you do graduate, you'll stay within more of a, a clinical setting area? Yeah, for sure. Um, Mental health is really where I want to be. I do really love social work, though, from the point that you said it. Mm -hmm. There is so much opportunity in the education that you get for social work. You learn a lot about a lot of different things. Aside from just just psychology, I learn about case management. I I learn about child abuse, child maltreatment, working with groups, working with organizations. There's so, so much you learn being a social worker. So I felt like it's given me so many skills that I can use to work with people. But to answer your question, I do want to stay in the clinical setting for sure. The the mental health field is is where I want to be. Awesome. I love that. I know um, when you and for those that don't know, we have a close friend, uh, Marin, that also works at Rogers. But I remember when you guys both started working there, it opened up conversation in our friend group just to talk about mental health more freely and bring it up in casual conversation outside of our friend group or or just close friends in general. Do you still find that there's a stigma around talking about mental health? I think for sure there is still a stigma. Um, Things have definitely come a long way, just even in just our lifetime, for sure, with mental health and people's understanding of it. I do still think there is a stigma for mental health and a lot of it I think comes from people just not understanding like if you haven't struggled with your mental health it's really hard to understand some of the things that people do struggle with yeah so while we've come a long way I I still think there is definitely stigma out there for sure it's a huge like opportunity for education too because like you said it's like I think a common response is like well like, why don't they just think differently? Or like, mm-hmm. why can't they just like remove that from their mind or, or feel better? Or why can't they like do something that makes them happy and then they'll be fine? And it's not like as simple of a concept as that is. Yeah, for sure. And one thing about social work that being in the social work field that I've that has really opened my eyes is we talk a lot about the person and their environment and just how everybody has a different environment. Everybody has different circumstances. And I mean, like just you and I, like we have totally different circumstances in our life. We've experienced different things, different events, different people. So that all contributes to who we are and how we act and how we feel today. So Mm -hmm. it's really helped me understand 
you know, why somebody might be struggling the way they are. Mm -hmm. And even though I can't understand it, I can still empathize with them because I know that they came from a different background than I did. Yeah. I think it's just like the saying goes, um, what is it? Like everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about or something along those lines. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a stat that I wanted to share with you, and then I, I do have a question, but um, the CDC shared that between January and June of 2019, 11% of U.S. adults reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, and then in December 2020, um, they surveyed people again, and 42% reported symptoms of anxiety and depression. So a 31% increase, which I think is an insane. That's like such a big jump. Um, but have you personally seen COVID impacting the number of patients reaching out to Rogers or just looking into services? I, I definitely have. I, I don't have like, as far as Rogers goes, specific numbers, but I think there's definitely been an increase in the volume that we've seen. And just in my classes, my, one of my professors had said that like, we're in the COVID pandemic right now, but we're also in a mental health pandemic. Um, and there, the, the effects that COVID has had on mental health is like, drastic it's 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 really bad and I mean COVID itself is bad as I know we know but it's it's so bad I mean kids not in school a lot of a lot of for a lot of kids school is their safe place so Mm -hmm. there's not that um, people are losing their businesses there are financial struggles there are people who struggle with domestic violence stuck at home, which is not, unfortunately, it's not a safe place for people to be. Um, I'm sure we could go on and on with more like devastating effects, but all of those things contribute to mental health. So there's, there's definitely a mental health pandemic going on, I would say. Yeah. I even think about like the isolation that some people may have, like as so many companies went from um, like in-person work to then moving remote. Like if you don't have an opportunity to interact with people and like work was that one outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, I can totally see how that would have an impact mm-hmm. on people as well. Yeah. And I mean, definitely, that's a great point. Personally, I am kind of an introvert. So like at the beginning of this, I'm like, oh, like I don't mind staying home. It's really like I don't mind it. It's not that bad. But like even myself as an introvert, after a while, I'm like, okay, like I need to get out. I need to be around people. So you can imagine how that would be, how that would feel for someone who is an extrovert and they are, that's what they need is that interaction. So definitely it's, it's been very devastating. It's, it's funny that you bring up like the introvert extrovert thing, because Jim is an introvert and he has to go into work each day and I would like classify myself as an extrovert and I work permanently remote and like Jim will get home from work and I'll be like okay what do you want to do where do you want to go like I need to get out of the house and all he wants to do is stay inside and just relax and it's like the remote work is very appealing to him whereas I'm like okay I I actually need to get out of the house today I know and yeah same with me 
me like Alex is working out of the house and like whenever he is off work I'm like ready to go and get out and do something and he's like I just want to stay home and I would like get mad at him for going to the store without me it was bad (laughs) like I need an activity (laughs) yeah Um, I do want to focus more on the internship work that you're doing. So tell me about some of the small group sessions that you run. Just a little disclaimer here. I am not, I have not graduated. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm giving like medical advice. Um, This is really just based off of what I'm learning in my internship, you know, things I've personally experienced myself. So just a little disclaimer there. So at Rogers, they do part of the component of their treatment is group therapy. So I have had the opportunity to run treatment groups at Rogers. So every day is a different topic and um, they primarily it's primarily focused on education. So it's giving the patients in the group um, different techniques and skills that they can use and this the topics that we teach are applicable to everybody in the group so some examples of different group sessions that I've ran um, on one of them is on mindfulness techniques and just examples of that how they can incorporate mindfulness another group I've ran is on anxiety and worry Um, and it kind of talks about different techniques to control worry, um, and reframe thoughts, things like that. There's so many different groups. Um, it's, it's hard to think of some, but all of the groups and really everything at Rogers is CBT focused, um, which stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So they all really have that focus of CBT and, changing thoughts, behaviors, emotions, things like that. Do you find that in the groups are um, people pretty open to sharing? Like, does it, is it commonly conversational where those that attend will maybe share what they're going through and then like an opportunity to relate with other attendees? That's really the the purpose of the group is mm-hmm. to get people to interact and share their experiences. Of course, you know, everyone's different. Some people feel more comfortable than others, and we definitely don't force people to share things if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I've i ran some like really good groups where there's some great conversation and, you know, people sharing their experiences. And it's really what I love about the groups is when we have people who are kind of near the end of their treatment and then there's people who are just starting and it's so awesome to see the people who have been through the program share about the progress they've made and the new people who are kind of scared a little anxious learn about the progress that these other people have made and you can see it really gives them hope like okay Mm -hmm. I can do this like I can get through this this person did it I can do it too so that's really my favorite thing about running groups and and just hearing other people's stories that's awesome yeah I can see that being like a huge motivator to have like someone almost as a role model like within Mm -hmm. the same group for you Mm -hmm. Um, just to ensure that everyone's on the same page, I know, um, the groups that you work with kind of focus around PTSD and then OCD and anxiety. Um, so for those that aren't sure, can you explain how you would define PTSD, OCD and anxiety? Yes. So 
PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. So what that usually entails is someone who has experienced a traumatizing event. So this could be something they witness, something that happened to them directly, something that they experienced over time, like over a long period of time. So for example, a paramedic. So they experience this traumatizing event and they are experiencing ongoing distress from that. So flashbacks related to the event, nightmares, anxiety around it. They might be avoiding places. They might be avoiding people. Places are people that um, remind them of the trauma. They might also feel like really jumpy, like easily startled, um, just really anxious and on edge because of the trauma. And then obsessive compulsive disorder Um, So that usually includes obsessions or compulsions. So an obsession is a thought. So usually like a persistent thought or worry that's that's very distressing to someone. And then a compulsion is a behavior. Um, So that could be like hand washing, ordering or arranging something like that. So usually a compulsion is done to try to help reduce your anxiety. So like if you're worried that you're, for example, if you struggle with contamination and you worry that your hands are contaminated, you're going to wash your hands to try to help reduce that anxiety. So with obsessive compulsive disorder, these obsessions or compulsions are very time consuming. They're very distressing, very anxiety provoking, and usually something that's, that's pretty debilitating. And then generalized anxiety disorder, I think that's pretty common. Um, So usually what that is, is like excessive worry. You can't control the worry about something. It could be be something specific or it could just be something and just things in general. And then usually there's other things that go along with it, like trouble sleeping. You might be irritable, restless. You can't sit still things like that. So that would be how I, how I define generalized anxiety. When you, when you do have the people um, that you work with that do have anxiety, is it more so people that are diagnosed um, with generalized anxiety disorder, or is it more so people who are recognizing anxious thoughts in themselves or maybe um, like self-reporting anxious feelings? It could be either. So we don't require anyone to have a diagnosis or be diagnosed with anything specifically before they start the program. Okay. Um, when they when they come to our program, they will meet with the psychiatrist. So it's usually so a lot of times they might end up getting diagnosed once they meet with the psychiatrist. Um, that's something that the psychiatrist would do is diagnose someone. Um, so it's not required. A lot of people that do come to the program have already been diagnosed, but it's mm-hmm. it's not a requirement. Um, and I've seen just like g- generalized anxiety disorder specifically is like very common. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is usually it's often co-occurring that I've seen personally mm-hmm. with a lot of other things. So it's it's really common. 
Before the episode, um, we decided that we would focus the conversation a little more on anxiety as well, so you could share more of your personal experience um, with everyone. So do you want to share just a little bit of kind of how you recognized your own anxiety and kind of have worked through that? Yeah, so I really kind of once I dove more into working on my anxiety, I have realized that I've I've had anxiety my whole life. Mm -hmm. I just didn't really realize it until I got older. Of course, there are things that like would make me nervous, like speaking in public, like, you know, normal things that um, might make everybody nervous. Mm -hmm. I had, but really what what kicked it off was I when I was in college, um, I had some real medical issues. It was nothing serious. Um, just really a really common medical issue, very treatable medical issue, but it required a lot of testing, um, to kind of figure out what was going on. And that experience for me was kind of traumatic just Mm -hmm. because it made me very anxious waiting to get a test result back, um, kind of just going through that whole process of uncertainty and not knowing what was going on was super anxiety provoking. So once that specific situation kind of calmed down and everything was solved was really when things started to get worse, which is kind of funny because you'd think it'd be better, but it wasn't. (laughs) And then after that, I would... I kind of went through a cycle where I would have something come up medically. Um, It could be something as simple as like, here's an example, ear pain. I had ear pain and I would automatically think the worst. I would think that um, it's a tumor. I have brain cancer. Literally, my brain would just spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to the doctor get it figured out. And that actually took a while to figure out. But over the next couple years, it turned into this cycle of like something coming up and then me literally losing it, thinking I was dying, going to the doctor. Okay. Like I feel better now, but then something else would always come up. Mm -hmm. And it was very like, I understand that it sounds irrational. And I know I knew that it was irrational at the time, but I couldn't help it. Like I couldn't help but worry like what if, like I literally would just think the worst and it was so, I mean, you know, like it was so, it really was debilitating Mm -hmm. for me. Um, It was really hard. And I think after a while, after I spent a lot of money going to the doctor (laughs) um, and kind of just after I realized like this was a repeated cycle that was just going to keep going Mm was when I'm like, all right, well, I should probably figure this out and get some help yeah, for it. Yeah. So um, I started seeing a therapist. Actually, probably it was when I moved to Chicago. So probably like, I want to, what was that, like 2018? Yeah, it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it, yeah, maybe yeah, two years so, or so. Um, I started seeing a therapist in 2018, which was very helpful. Yeah. Um, It's a lot more under control, definitely. And it was great. I just really, I learned that my thoughts were, would spiral out of control. And that's 
that's part of what we teach at Rogers too, is that our thoughts can spiral out of control. And we talk about cognitive distortions and a cognitive distortion is thinking the worst and always Mm -hmm. thinking worst case scenario. And that's exactly what I was doing. So seeing a therapist was really helpful. And mainly for me, it was getting my thoughts under control and reframing my thoughts about that not everything's going to be a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I'm and I'm glad that you brought up and first of, of all, thank you for sharing that with us. I think a lot of people will be able to connect with that, too. And I'm glad that you brought up, um, like you had mentioned, you had feelings of nervousness, like, or would have like common feelings of nervousness, like prior to public speaking. And I think like something that has been a turning point for me is I, like, I would normally call that anxiety. Like I'd be like, oh, before a meeting, like, uh, oh, I've, you know, I've got anxiety leading into this presentation or this meeting or um, like this big event that I'm hosting. And like hearing you talk about like those moments, like more medical related. And then also like I always bring up this example of like going into my wedding. I actually felt like like my body was reacting where mm-hmm. it wasn't just like thoughts, but I was like those couple days, like I wasn't sleeping at night. I was like not eating regularly or like on a normal routine. And like my heart would be racing where like for no reason, like in my mind, I'd be like, no, I'm like, I'm calm. I'm cool. I'm collected and my heart would be like beating so fast where I'm like oh no like okay this is actually what anxiety Mm -hmm. was so it's and as I'm as I talk to more people too it's like interesting to hear because I think I was a little like would throw around anxiety a little loosely and just Mm -hmm. be like oh yeah like I I really have a lot of anxiety going in this meeting and it's like no that was just standard nervousness Mm -hmm. like anxiety is more of like a yeah a bigger reaction it's a it's like can definitely be a full body experience like trouble sleeping you can feel trouble breathing like sweating I had situations where like I would be so nervous I'd almost pass out. Yeah. And when I did start seeing a therapist, she like she told me and this I always think of this when I start to like feel anxious and I might have like like if I'm feeling something physically, she always told me that the mind will sacrifice the body. Mm. So basically what she meant by that is like your mind is telling you that something is wrong so it's gonna like sacrifice your body to try to prove your mind right so like I was I was having like I realized like a lot of the like physical things that I was worried about were because of anxiety Mm -hmm. like and now I know that like when I I'm getting anxious. I might not necessarily be thinking that I'm anxious, but I know like a sign for me now is I have heartburn. I know I'm anxious when I have that because when she, after she told me that I, well, before she told me that I was like super anxious about something. And then she told me that. And then like, I, and I had heartburn. And I remember after that session, it was gone Yeah. because I'm like, okay, like this is, I was able to like understand that like my body, 
my body's reacting to the anxiety. Like my mind is sacrificing my body. So, and I mean, everybody's different, obviously. And like, I know everyone's experience is different. Um, I mean, definitely like if you have physical issues, get them checked out to be sure. But that was, that was my experience. I learned a lot of it was just because of the anxiety. That's such a good, like, phrase or or like teaching that she shared too I never thought of it in that way yeah and I and I don't think people realize like how connected I mean they are so connected your mind and your body and things really do manifest physically a lot even in other in other disorders besides anxiety yeah so like even thinking about um like stress induced illnesses too. Yeah. Like if you're really stressed and like you make yourself sick or things mm-hmm. like that are connected in, yeah. in wild ways. Do you feel that um, something, I know you said that yours was more so uh, medical related, but are there some things that you feel trigger your anxiety more than others? Um, yeah, I definitely have my, my share of triggers. Um, I worry a lot about other people in my life, things like Mm -hmm. that. A lot of worry. That's, I think that's just a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yeah, everyone's, I think the big thing here is like the big point that I, that I want to make is that to other people who maybe don't fully understand it is what's really frustrating about anxiety is like, you know, that your thoughts are irrational and you know that it's not, it's not always logical and that just makes it even more frustrating because you know but you can't help it yeah and you can't control it and I think that's like a big thing too like going back to the stigma is um for people who don't understand it just know that it's like very debilitating to people and even though it's irrational like they know it's irrational but it's so real to them yeah and it's 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 it can be really debilitating yeah I can't Mm -hmm. imagine the frustration that someone has like recognizing that like I know I'm being irrational but like I can't Mm -hmm. I can't think rationally right now about it yeah and I think it's how it it really has like helped me like this is a big reason like that I want to go into this field because I feel like in a way even if I don't understand what someone's going through I can empathize with them and know that like know how it feels in a sense and not to say that I know how everybody feels because I know people have like far different struggles than I do but I know how it feels to Mm. feel like no one understands and I know how it feels to feel irrational yeah um and I just like that's why I want to go into this field because I I want to help people see that it can get better and yeah there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel yeah no 100 (laughs) percent um I know you have some so do you have any like good practices that you could share on how to combat some of those anxious feelings like if you do have anxious feelings coming up maybe some practices to like help calm yourself down or um that you can do individually yeah so one big thing for me has been mindfulness. So I'm sure I feel like a lot of people have heard about mindfulness, but really what mindfulness is all about is being present, being present in the moment. People have probably heard of mindfulness meditation Mm -hmm. that goes along with that. Um, 
I will come out and say that I was a skeptic of mindfulness and meditation just because I didn't really understand. Like, I don't, I don't understand how this is going to help with my anxiety. Like it's, you know, sitting and breathing, deep breathing, meditating. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't understand how it would help with that, but if you practice it and you do it, it can be really helpful. And there are hundreds and hundreds of things out there. If you YouTube mindfulness meditation, you can find something. There's mindfulness journaling. I know on the internet or on Amazon, they have a bunch of fun stuff on there for mindfulness. But again, it's really about staying present in the moment, grounding yourself and what it can really help with is a lot of times when we worry, our thought we're kind we're constantly worried about the future, what's going to happen next, and mindfulness can help can help bring you to the present and keep you in the present. And I will say that it takes a lot of practice. It's mm-hmm. not like something you can just do the first time and see that it's helped you and you're mm-hmm. not worrying anymore. It's not like that. It's something that you have to practice and you have to do regularly. Yeah. Um, and it, and again, it's that's something that's worked for me. It may not work for everyone, but even if you're skeptic of it, if you're if you're unsure, I would recommend trying it just because it's been really helpful, and it's something we teach at Rogers too. Mm-hmm. So. I, I find it really effective. Yeah, that's I, I like that because I think a lot of the worry or like even anything that I would be worrying about in my personal life are things that have not happened yet. So I'm mm-hmm. worrying about like scenarios of like, well, what if this occurs? Or like, what if I do this wrong and then that happens? So like grounding yourself mm-hmm. more in the present kind of makes you realize like, okay, this is what's going on now or this is who I'm with in these moments yep. and to kind of wash away that worry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To wrap things up, um, are there any other resources that you follow or that you would recommend for people that just want to learn more about mental health in general or maybe if um, other people are like seeking better understanding or help? Yeah, so um, NAMI, that's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, is a great resource. They have a really good Instagram um, they're always sharing like different facts on mental illness resources. So I would recommend them. Um, and then Rogers, rogersbh.org has a ton of information on their website, resources, even if Rogers is not something that you're looking for, their website has a lot of resources on it too. Um, and then of course, um, just want to throw this out there. There is hotlines that you can call anytime so if you're struggling there's the national suicide prevention hotline which is 1-800-273-8255 and then you can also text home to 741-741 which is a crisis text line so someone will text you back on that if you ever feel you're in a crisis or need help Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your experience as well as um, your experience in the field. I think it'll be a really impactful and thought-provoking episode. So thank you, Erin. Thanks for having me. (laughs) 